I'm Graham from Oxford, England. I'm David from New York. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like me. If you'd like to support the show like I did, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests are Jerry Casale and Mark Mothersbaugh. They became friends 40 years ago while attending college at Kent State University, and they went on with their brothers, both of whom were coincidentally named Bob, to anchor the band Devo. Their dance-friendly, mechanistic, often satirical rock albums only yielded one major hit, 1980's Whip It, but their refined message, sound, and aesthetics have made them wildly influential for some 30 years now. Their new album, Something for Everyone, is their first in 20 years. Before I talk with Mark and Jerry, here's a bit of uncontrollable urge from the band's first album, Are We Not Men, We Are Diva. Jerry, Mark, welcome to The Sound of Young America. It's great to have you here. We're young at heart. That's what I like to hear. That's the kind of enthusiasm. That's the kind of false enthusiasm <laughs> that I like to hear on this program. Um, you know, uh, uh, Jerry, I, I want to start with you. I, I, was, um, I was reading a, an interview with you, and you were talking about your college days and your early days with Mark. And you described your early college days. You described yourself as a, as a classic hippie. Um, and I wonder what that um, what that meant for you personally. How did that? What was that for you? Uh, pot, psilocybin, acid, sex. <laughs> Just a check the checklist and lots of well and lots of studying. I was in the honors college and I did have a high grade point average, so I I thought I was allowed to do those other things. What about you, Mark? Were you were you on board for that stuff? Um, I wasn't really interested in drugs. Uh, I was just glad not to be getting my butt kicked one more day in a row at my uh, um, high school I had been attending before that. So uh, I was very happy to be in a college that had, I don't know, it was over 10,000 kids in it as opposed to being in a school with uh, 80 kids who hated people that liked the Beatles. <laughs> Wait, hated people that liked the Beatles? Yeah, that sounds crazy, but it was... A, That's a pretty large demographic. Yeah, it was it was, it was a Neanderthal-style school system, and um, Country Western ruled the day in that neighborhood. How, how old were you when uh, the Kent State shootings happened? Um, I was 20. Uh, it, it's a it's a difficult for me to imagine having that kind of experience at 
that age. I mean, you were you were actually physically you were in the you were involved in the protest. Yeah, I was in the middle of it, and uh, you know, hit the ground when they started shooting. And uh, when we all looked up, there were four people dead and nine people wounded. And I got to see uh, what an exit wound looks like coming out of a body in the noonday sun, and that's you know, that kind of changed me. Mark, I, I wonder, I, I wonder how that uh, how that affected you from from your perspective. Uh, you know, sort of half a step removed, but still very much in the in the middle of things. Well, it changed everything at our school. Obviously, they closed the school down, and um, we were uh, we were out of there until fall semester. So it was between May and and September. Nothing was. No one was allowed to go to campus. Um, Jerry and I were both in the art department and had been. Uh, we'd actually at that point collaborated on a on a couple visual things, and um, after school closed down, he came over to my place and we both played instruments. And we're both kind of in bands, uh, and we started writing music and talking about what we saw going on in the world around us and came to the conclusion that we were observing de-evolution instead of evolution and it was kind of the beginning of our band what were the what were the first things that you did in the sort of collaboration that that became the band uh Devo we were doing what was really performance art but there was no label for it at that time but that's exactly what we were doing we were wearing masks uh we were playing experimental um kind of trance-like pieces of music that on purpose we did not make any chord changes and, you know, would get into this primitive rhythm. Uh, Mark was using a mini Moog. Uh, <clears throat> we were using uh, early homemade electronic drums that his brother Jim made from Roland practice pads. And, right, uh, there were no such things as electronic drums at the time. And we were trying to create our own... Uh, vocabulary musically um um jerry had been in a blues band and, and was very you know like aware of rhythms and very into to beats and i was playing synthesizers and not really interested in the keyboards and trying to figure out what kind of sounds were part of our culture that that would be relevant for for us to write music together and so i was looking for v2 rocket sounds and mortar blasts and things like that and and we got jim to to build these drums for us and uh they were very they were very primitive they were very like early a matter of fact his first set he he took acoustic drums and almost like you would an acoustic guitar he just put guitar pickups on them and then ran them into wawa pedals and echoplexes and it was it was it was pretty crazy sounding. It was really un. It wasn't something that he could control. A lot of the sound. It was. It was, it was very noisy. It was a. The band was was very experimental sounding. And we frightened people. It was aggressive, <laughs> and you know they were they really piss them off. And uh, the more they got pissed off, the more we were like, you know, all proud of ourselves well, because uh, the kind of people we were making angry. It's proved to us that we were doing the right thing <laughs> and you know what we were angry and we thought people needed to be angry you know it was kind of like yeah good 
We knew something had to wake you up. So when you say that you are doing these things, I'm I'm trying to picture these things in the context of uh, Akron. Yeah, I'm wondering like what what gig did you get? Like well, how did you think 1970? <laughs> was there a yeah. CBGB's mm-hmm. central in mm-hmm. Akron? Not really back then. It was, in 1974, we would we would tell a club owner because this is what they wanted to hear that we played cover tunes <laughs> and we would be on stage and somewhere, you know, about three or four songs into it, it'd be like, here's another one by Foghat. It's mm-hmm. called Mongoloid. <laughs> and uh, about that point, uh, all these uh, unemployed, <laughs> unemployed rubber workers and, you know, ex Vietnam vets that had gone over there to protect the, the democratic system had, and had come back and found out that while they were over there, protecting big business big business had moved out of akron ohio and and moved all their uh tire factories to malaysia and brazil so they were just kind of wandering around bumping into each other not knowing what to do with themselves and um we became a focal point for their hostility on more than one occasion. <laughs> you you mentioned Mongoloid, which you uh, re- recorded for your uh, first LP, uh, Are We Not Men? L- let's hear a bit of it. doing these things aesthetics uh, visual aesthetics is such a huge part of what devo is right um did you did you have outfits from the beginning yes yeah the first outfits were um firemen's work suits there were these uh, you know plenty of uniform shops in akron ohio for every mm-hmm. profession <laughs> and uh there were these gray jumpsuits that the firemen wore when they weren't uh you know, in a May Day parade or something. May Day? No. Yeah, Memorial Day yeah. parade. Yeah, when the were in the May Day parade. Yeah, the communist uh, firefighters. Another continent, but same, <laughs> same idea. But uh, we, we wore the gray jumpsuits, and we modified them a little, and we wore clear plastic masks that we got from a novelty and, shop. And we had some sort of blue hard hat that was kind plastic of a, hard not a really helpful hard hat. It was more just an indicator. <laughs> it, just, it just made you look like you were a worker. It didn't really make you... Yeah, look safe. It didn't make you feel safe. It, but it didn't protect you from the beer bottles coming from Fog Hat fans. No, uh, not no. particularly. But but they but they did give us a uniform look, which we were we were trying for. We wanted to be like five pieces of a machine rather than uh, five individuals. 
like look at me look at me you know how did you get out of akron what were your what were your first gigs at um uh at places where um you know you could expect like uh, i guess you would say cool kids to uh see your show and potentially even like it well we were quite aware of everything going on you know akron even though it's cultural wasteland on one level for those who are interested we knew everything that was going on in new york and los angeles and london and and we had the independent record store um circuit and we went to new york because we had been reading about cbgbs and maxes and uh television had been playing there patty smith had been playing there early talking heads so i went like all dressed kind of preppy with a little suitcase and said I was Devo's manager and booked us into CBGB's and Max's. And we went there in March. I, all I remember is it was rainy and cold and we played and we got a following immediately and we got asked back. What was it? What was the reaction of these people who were going to see the, uh, you know, the amazing, but uh, you know, relatively earnest sounds of um, Patty Smith and, uh, you know, the next night they go to the same club and they see the guys in the yellow outfits. I think they were blown away. And yeah. part of it was that we had spent so much time incubating in Akron, unseen and unheard, that, you know, by the time we got there, it was it was a, a very articulated concept as opposed to, you know, watching Patti Smith's band members swap places with television band members or talking head band members and you know they saw these bands as they germinated and as they they grew and swapped players and figured out what they were about devo kind of came out as this full-fledged virus uh, out of some place that they would say akron what's akron you know and and um yeah it was a full frontal assault and uh, we had to play two sets a night so we'd play in the gray fireman jumpsuits uh first set then come back and do the yellow suit set and people started finding out about it and coming to both sets and then <laughs> we, we, we did different shows we had yeah. we had so many songs by yeah. that point that we could do two full sets how did you guys see yourself at, at this point in the in the mid-70s before you had released your first record which was 78 if i remember right um it, how did you see yourselves relative to uh, uh punk rock which was the sort of the the dominant countercultural m- music of the time and was, um, you know, certainly had similar foundations to what you were doing, but was coming out in a very different way. Well, we were really punks. Um, you know, we weren't nihilistic anti-intellectual punks. We were like punk scientists. And, and that's why the traditional punks with all their sets of rules didn't accept us. And for me, at least at first, I was, that was upsetting that these, punk bands weren't accepting Devo and then it then it was like better because then we we were just Devo forever Mm -hmm. Devo was its own thing and when punkdom waned it didn't matter to Devo I read an interview I gosh maybe it was with you Jerry it may have been with you Mark where you talked about a time when um uh someone uh, accused you of being the thinking man's kiss, right? Um, which you, which you felt like oh, I wish I c- could have been the <laughs> thinking man's kiss. I think that was Alan Jones for Melody Maker. That was right. his like final put down. <laughs> and, but it's like God, yeah. that would have been great because they were hugely successful. Yeah. Right? You know, that would mean our message was getting out to as many people as their idiotic message was getting out to. 
It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests are Mark Mothersbaugh and Jerry Casale of the band Devo. Devo have just released their first record in about 20 years. It's called Something for Everybody. Here's a track from it called Fresh. You know, I was talking to uh, uh, Julia Smith, our our intern, who's uh, sitting over to my left uh, elsewhere in the studio here, um, and we were talking about the way that um, because your music was so often um, in part satirical, as it has f- folded in on itself, you know, you guys at one point recorded a, a version of, of Whip It for Swiffer that was, I think, Swiff It. I'm, I may be misremembering that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it sort of folds in on itself, um, it's, it's, sort of, uh, it's sort of hard to figure out which parts are, um, uh, which parts are a, a, a marketer trying to drop the satire from a pitch-perfect satire and which parts are you guys satirizing the thing that you are actually doing, which is to say, you know, recording Swift instead of Whip. And you know, like it, it sort of it, it, the the cat starts chasing its tail, just as I am in asking this question. No, but you, you obviously no. uh, your instinct is right. Devo was postmodern again when there was no term postmodernism. We were self-referential, and it did work like that. You can't make fun of Devo because Devo makes fun of themselves. So when you see that hideous commercial footage for <laughs> Swiffer cut to. Whip it. It's almost like something we wish we could have gotten somebody to do a long time ago and prob- <laughs> yeah. probably couldn't have talked any woman into yeah. it. To us, know? it was hard. It would, we, we saw that and said, oh, that could be in, in Mocha. I, I remember watching that commercial on television and, and Whip It, which I'm sure everyone listening remembers, right. is this really spiky um, kind of, in its own way, kind of harsh, but also kind of fun and joyful right. and goofy. Up. And um, the commercial is it, – it's so profoundly not reflective of any <laughs> – like it really is clearly a commercial where they just thought whip it rhymes with swift it. Well, to me, I, lo- I just love the imagery. It's, it's once I saw how uh, – once we saw how idiotic it was, it was, it was, like, a, a, it was like a dream come true because, I mean, when – when Bruce Connor, uh, a friend of ours, put together a, a video for um, Mongoloid, he picked some of the best, most amazing-looking, insipid 
insane images from 50s uh, television uh, commercials to put along with Mongoloid, and he did a really great job. There was some woman on top of a, a, a ball of a, of a deodorant roll-on where she's stuck to it, and she's on her hands and knees, and she's, she's frightened because she's like trying to get unstuck from a ball of deodorant. And this was like somebody making it for you. It, it, it couldn't even be better. And, and honestly, for us, it's like um, these kind of projects like Devo 2.0 that we did with Disney. It's, we see it as, as Dada. If it, we see if, <laughs> if it attracts people to pay attention to Devo that might not have ever paid attention to Devo. And maybe they, whether they on a conscious level or not, pick up on the messages, it, it still could happen. So it still could draw them in so so um i i like all all of all of that stuff i like all of uh, devo coming up even in absurd situations like that it's the sound of young america i'm jesse thorne my guests are the band devo devo have just released their first record in about 20 years it's called something for everybody here they are performing don't shoot album in a way is uh is almost a uh is almost self-satirical um right. you've you've put it together through a series of of focus groups right and you know we, we were talking about kiss earlier jerry right. and um one time i met george clinton and he was very insistent that he felt uh kiss was just a knockoff of parliament for white people <laughs> and um <laughs> and that's certainly, a funny idea. <laughs> yeah, and certainly, you know, you if you were to accuse Kiss of of anything, it would um it would probably be that they're, you know, specifically formulated in that way for mass consumption. Everything about them is designed for maximum, you know, merchandisability and so forth. Um you guys have seem to have decided very specifically to uh to do that yourselves on this on this new record. Right. Well, I mean, models have imploded. No new viable ones have taken their place. Um, we have always commented on the business of music as part of our aesthetic. And today, with music being devalued and nobody wanting to buy it, marketing is everything. Marketing's been everything for a long time, but now it's clear to everybody. Like, what well, we used to get heavily criticized and beat up beaten up in the rock press for like having a stage show having theatrics having merchandise uh having lifestyle things connected beyond the music well it was a battle just even to get to do films yeah. back back now it's 70s. like uh, you're expected now it's like de rigueur it's like anybody that's going to make it like a lady gaga that all has to be there and so all we're doing after being pioneers who got scalped is 
doing what we already did. And that's, a, to us, a good thing. You can only be shocking once. You can only be way ahead of your time once. Now we're with the times. All these groups that are out that people love that cite us as influences, like Hot Chip and uh, LCD Sound System and The Kills and uh, bands like that, you know, uh, we figured, well, God, if uh, <laughs> if they can take our stuff and do that, we're certainly allowed to come back and do what we did because uh, we do it really well. The director, David Gordon Green, was on the show a couple months ago, and, and he made these very sort of auteurish uh, indie films early in his career, like, right. you know, George Washington and so on. And more recently, he's been making these really big comedies that have um, relatively large budgets to George Washington. And um, part of making them is is essentially focus grouping them. They, they right. make a cut, they show it to an audience and see what happens. And... Um, he talked a little bit about how the process has been, you know, is partly a burden, but also partly kind of revelatory. And I wonder how you guys have experienced this, this odd process of focus grouping and putting all your songs through online votes and all these other things that, um, uh, that you've done as a sort of satirical art project. And, right. and I wonder if anything has come out of it that you, that you didn't expect, or maybe even anything, you know, that you didn't expect in a positive way. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. We, it was an experiment that we totally embraced because what's the one thing Devo never did? Play ball, you know, hermetically sealed, insular. And this was the one thing we never did, and it was now or never. You know, it was our one chance to try it. And it's, you know what? People are not as stupid as most people in control think they are. They really aren't. It's great. The feedback we got was great. And we, we paid attention to it. We did it. So give me an example. What kind of what kind of feedback ha- have you gotten that you were surprised at how uh you know trenchant or insightful it was? Well, like on the song study, um it was it was interesting uh what the hierarchy was and the number of votes with over 40,000 participants um songs that we wouldn't have expected to score high did and songs that we really liked scored the lowest. <laughs> so we went, oh, okay. <laughs> what is it that they like about that? You know, and, and asked questions and paid attention, uh, which is great. And like the Blue Domes, uh, now we're, we've switched to blue. <laughs> right. We were wearing red all those years and didn't realize people wanted blue this people whole time. People wanted blue, yeah. What is the contemporary 2010 Devo outfit? We have some age-appropriate clothing, uh, reflective silver uh, titanium thread jackets and pants that uh, glow when they're hit by stage lights. And so they create this beatific effect like we're holograms or something. Uh, and they uh, they really are effective in that way. It must be like living a beautiful dream. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then we have matching half-head everybody masks. Those half-head masks remind me a little bit of... The episode of uh, the Twilight Zone, where uh, everyone is—it's all POV shots, and yeah. everyone's reacting like the guy's so horrifying. And then it turns out that, and everyone has a pig face, and it turns right. out he's got a regular face. <laughs> right. I love that one. <laughs> um, Mark, Jerry, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the San Diego America. It was really great to have you on the show. Okay, and we are young at heart. <laughs> it's been wonderful being here. 
Jerry Casale and Mark Mothersbaugh are members of the band Devo. Their brand new album is called Something for Everybody. Let's hear one more track on our way out. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our music is provided by Dan Wally. The show is edited by Nick White in Chicago. Our intern is Julia Smith. You can email me at jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at MaximumFun.org. And you can always visit us online to get any of our past shows at MaximumFun.org or just search for The Sound of Young America to get our shows free in iTunes. We'll talk to you next time right here on The Sound of Young America. Production of The Sound of Young America is underwritten in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.